Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment you are going to hear the voice of a man who will tell you some tremendously important facts. Welcome to the Reality Revolution. I am delighted because I have Dr. Shelley Kerr today with me, an amazing writer who has written several books, an amazing book uh, about uh, genealogical regression and an upcoming book that I had the honor to read that's by the time you're seeing this, it's just about to come out on the Akashic Record, something we talk about on the channel that I am fascinated with, and I cannot wait to talk to, to Dr. Kerr about this wonderful book. So welcome to the Reality Revolution, Doctor. Brian, thank you so much for having me on the show and congrats on this show. I love it. Oh, thank you. So before we start, let, let's talk a little bit about your background. Dr. Shelley Kerr uh, is from Dallas, Texas, has worked with thousands of people around the world, helping them achieve their greatest peace and happiness in their lives. A world-renowned past life regressionist, Dr. Shelley's method of combining energy work with hypnosis has been endorsed by numerous leaders in the field of consciousness, including near-death experience pioneers, Dr. Raymond Moody and Dr. Brian Weiss. And Dr. Shelley has been prominently featured in the media, including Coast to Coast AM and William Shatner's were weird or what? And she received her PhD in parapsychic science from the American Institute of Holistic Theology in 2001. So much wonderful work that you've done in the past. And um, you come with a very unique background doing lots of past life regressions. Uh, so tell us a little bit more. What got you into this? What inspired you to explore this particular area of spirituality? Yeah, um, Brian, it's been a lifelong journey. Um, I had a very eclectic childhood and I grew up in New Mexico, but we also lived in Colorado Springs. And back in the 1970s, there was a really famous book called The Search for Bridie Murphy, which was about past life regression. And the subject of the book and the hypnotherapist happened to live near where we lived at the time. And my mother met them at a luncheon and so she actually brought their book home. And when I was a little kid, we were sitting around the dinner table talking about reincarnation, which is, I guess, not what, apparently that's not what regular people do. <laughs> I didn't know that. Right. And then as an adult, um, I had a lot of very, I began having a lot of very strange things happen. Um, a friend passed away. I perceived his spirit in a window. I found that we had a past life connection. And then in terms of what we're talking about today, I had a, a period that was kind of like a dark night of the soul where I just, I was kind of turned within. I started hearing an inner voice tell me there was something wrong with my heart. I was not going to live much longer. And then one night without an accident or anything, I just lifted up into this space that is described, you know, by people who follow Dr. Raymond Moody's life after life work. You know, I'm here with beings. It's very cerebral. And when I came back from that, I had energy in my hands and I had just knowings about things that were completely out of my conscious awareness. And then that's when I really started to tap into, although I didn't understand it at the time, I went on a long journey to try to understand it, which has kind of led me to this crazy career that I have. But I started realizing that people could be talking to me like you could tell me what you did yesterday. You went to the grocery store or whatever. And I I would find that I was almost sitting on your shoulder and I could see everything that you were doing. And so when I started doing um, past life regressions for people, I realized that I could also just come along the journey and I could, I could often see what they were about to tell me before they would open their mouths. And so 
for a period of time, I started doing Akashic readings um, because I realized I could just, it's very easy for me to go ahead and tell people who they were in a past life and, and just go through all of those motions. Over the years, most of the time, I do prefer doing the regression process because the um, client needs to, you know, come up with these epiphanies on their own without me telling them. And I think that can be more empowering, but the new book then is really encompassing a lot of the journeys that I have taken clients on over the course of the last over 20 years that I've been doing this, when the past life regression alone maybe wasn't what they needed to achieve the various healing. And so I believe that all people can access these different realms of consciousness if they just know, you know, which doors to open and how to proceed. Let's talk a little bit about reincarnation because, I, you know, I, I, I'm constantly reading stuff um, to the people on my podcast, and we've explored all sides of this. And I find I find the argument fascinating. You know, on one end, we have Dr. Joseph Murphy saying, there's no such thing as reincarnation. There's a universal mind. And when you access these past lives, you're just accessing a past life. It's not you. And then uh, I had an interview recently with Curtis Childs about Edwin uh, Swedenborg, and Swedenborg said, um, yeah, you, can, you can access the past lives, but it's not your past life. And, and then, uh, you know, I've read Do Dolores Cannon and the Law of One, and, um, it, and, and they're saying there is a past life that you can access. I've had um, regressions myself, both with the QHHT modality and with yeah. just standard Edgar Casey past life regression. Um, there was, it, it, and, and I came out of both of them, uh, like I, I could, there was images coming in my mind, there was experiences I was having. Um, and so help me, um, you know, when, of course, Raymond Moody, there's Brian Weiss, there's some, so many amazing writers that have talked about this. So help me to differentiate, how do I know that what I'm experiencing or what you might be experiencing isn't just accessing the universal mind, but actually specific to me? Is there a way for us scientifically to kind of, you know, differentiate or understand? Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? I know exactly what you're trying to yeah. say. I agree with everything you're saying as well. I've always said that I don't even know if past lives are real. I've never known right. if they were real. Um, when, par as part of my personal journey, many, many years ago, when a friend had been killed in an accident and I, I was very grief stricken for many, many years. And it was really this past life regression that I had gone through where I perceived myself, again, we're asking the question, is this real or not? I don't know, but I perceived right. that he and I had known each other in many, many lifetimes. There were a few lives I was able to see. I started saying, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. And something about this epiphany that I received through the process of that just let me just say, okay, you know what? I think I'm done being grief stricken over this. I think I can understand and accept this and I can move on now. And it was just like that after years and years of trying other methods to help. And so when I think about it, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I even don't know for sure. Are right. we tapping into the collective mind when we talk about like the Akashic records and what is that, you know, it's not a space, it's a, it's the cosmic soup, you know, from which we all draw upon, from which we, Carl Jung spoke about the collective consciousness and how we tap into these archetypal energies and things. So I don't even know if it's real, but I do know that as a, ther a therapy, like a therapeutic modality in the way that I guide people to that, it's almost like we're going back, we're, we're getting up out of whatever troubles that we're in, in this current situation or whatever questions we have. And we're trying to just get out up out of ourselves and go 
perceive things from a different perspective where if I say, okay, well, I see that you're in the middle ages there, Brian. So how does that, you know, mead hall, how is that going to apply to the things you're doing now in making your life better? And when I ask people that kind of a question, you know, they can answer it and they can say, oh, well, you know what? I was doing that then. So maybe I don't need to do that anymore. Or they come up with some kind of positive um, reframing of the now that is beneficial to them. So my, my real goal really is not really to decide for people whether or not this is something that, you know, was part of a dream image that maybe Mm -hmm. they had since childhood, or did they see this on the discovery channel, or are they just making it up? Or are they really this person who is a gladiator or whatever it is, as much as it is just to guide them through almost the retelling of the story that they're, they're imparting on themselves in their current life so that they can make more sense of their life and hopefully release you know, resentment, release pain or trauma or whatever it is, and just live more peacefully in the now so that they can move on into the future, having a happier life. I mean, so, I'm you know, wa- you, you think about like Ian Stevenson and these, you know, the mm-hmm. depth to which some of these people, as you've mentioned, have gone to try to prove that, you know, this person really did live in India in the ancient times or whatever. I think that's cool. And I wish that we could find more proof for these things, but it hasn't been a focus of my work. Well, on one perspective, you could say both are still saying past lives. One is all of the lives are, are past lives, right? And the other, right. so maybe our higher self in those sessions is showing us a past life that's very unique and specific to what we're dealing with traumatically. And that, and, and that might be working or it could be the other. And both ways, it, it has resonance and meaning to me, right? right. Um, and, and so before I get into that, I, I always like to ask, in your experience of doing these regressions, how often have you had people uh, talk about past lives on other planets or other dimensions? Um, quite a bit. I mean, not well, let's say it's probably a quarter of the time, potentially. Right. I've got a new book coming out in October called Past Lives in Ancient Lands and Other Worlds, mm-hmm. where we'll go into some of the ancient civilizations and then we'll go into a whole section of yeah, people who lived on other planets or people who lived in other solar systems are out on ships. There are different kinds of creatures and things like that. Absolutely. When I when I did my QHHT, um, I had this deep desire to know about, you know, being on other planets. And I was shown those images, but, you know, there was still a part of me that was like, I really wanted to, <laughs> to access that. So I don't know. But um, thank you for your perspective. And um, I so before we get into the current book, I also wanted to ask, you have this amazing book about doing regressions on genealogically, meaning um, we can go back and regress and, and go back to our ancestors, our grandparents, and this can be very healing for us. It can cause uh, waves of healing through our DNA. Tell me a little more about that and, and how that inspired you. Yeah, um, this is my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. Yes. I just found out today it, it won the gold award in the Coalition of Visionary Resources in the self-help category for 2022. So it's the best book of the year. Awesome. So I was very excited. I just found that out. But what it is about, um, it's we're going to further this same discussion that we're now having when we get into the new book. Because when somebody comes for a past life regression, um, I'm often faced with this idea that before we can go into past lives, we're going to have to do some work on the present. And a lot of people have a lot of challenges. I know not you, Brian, and not me, of course. 
sure we all uh, with do. our families you know um, i think our families are the cosmic button pushers of the universe and they can be very challenging for everyone and so there was times this i started this process like i don't know 15 16 years ago I just felt like, wait a minute, before we go into the past situation, we need to go over here and have the person meet with the higher selves of mother and father and say, hey, mom and dad, does anybody in our family tree need a healing today? And then I developed this process that I called the genealogical regression, where instead of we're traveling into space and we're looking out our eyes at my life in ancient Rome, and this is supposedly me that I'm experiencing, in this case, we're floating over events um, that happened to ancestors on either mom or dad's side of the family. And we can either hover over those events or float down in there. And I'll have clients say, well, okay, who is the ancestor there? And they go, oh my gosh, that's my five times great grandfather or whoever it is. And then what we do is we send, there's a process of sending healing to them that then can be observed during the session as if their mo mother's higher self, for example, is floating there with them, their mother can look lighter. And then the client themselves starts feeling a lightness and a healing and a, a releasing of um, energies of the past. And then we can extend that light out to future generations, to our cousins and our grandparents or whoever's alive and theoretically, you know, send the love and light throughout all the ancestors from those events through time to the future. And the, the fundamental basis of the work in terms of actual science, that does have a little bit of science behind it now, mm -hmm. um, because the scientists, real scientists, even at the CDC, the National Institutes of Health, are studying the fact that people actually have different um, things happen to their DNA when their ancestors have been traumatized. They did a study about the um, ancestors of the people who lived through the Holocaust, for example, mm -hmm. and they had certain, their DNA itself didn't change, but there were certain um, different spikes in levels of chemicals that would create stress, anxiety, depression, and they, they had certain disease, you know, higher risk for certain diseases and all kinds of things. And there's just more and more um, real science being done in this area. And so what I found with clients, and I just got done doing a, a seven week long course with the Shift Network, and I'm going to Omega Institute soon to do it again, um, is that this is very, very healing to people to, first of all, come face to face with parents when that can be such a challenging relationship mm -hmm. and just do some healing around that. But then also just to be able to extend light in the past. I had have had many people since the book came out who have told me, I really feel like that's one of my reasons for being here at this time is to help to heal and transmute the karma for the ancestral lineage. So it's been um, quite a, a journey considering I developed it many years ago, but it was something I just rarely did with clients. And so now mm -hmm. that it's come out, I, it seems like it's, it's for this time. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to be talking more and more about in the future. I've always had this theory that we eventually will be able to down from the DNA download memories I just have this feeling that within the DNA, almost like a computer program, that we'll be able to a, a, you know get to a quantum level where we can pull up memories from our ancestors. It's all built into our DNA. Um, our reactions and instincts are all built in from 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 memory. So you know, I, I, I it totally resonates with me. I get that. Um, uh, it's really already happening because they've actually done also studies that say that 
up to 50, like five, zero percent of our personalities, like how we're acting right. is really directly brought through the DNA. And then I've had clients who have said, you know, they they've started thinking, oh, this is a past life situation, because I think that we are behaving in the exterior world based on, you know, influences from past lives. But I think that those ancestral influences, exactly like you've described, mm -hmm. are probably affecting us a lot more than even a past life or some of these other paranormal things that could be happening. Absolutely. I agree with you. So I can't wait to talk about the Akashic Record. This is something that absolutely fascinates me. And there's a part of me that believes that it's it's becoming conscious right now, that the, the, the Akashic is, is more than just a database for us to access. It's becoming conscious. Uh, so I'm so excited that you decided to, uh, you know, spend a book on this and, and you really cover a lot of different areas connecting with spirit guides. Uh, you talk about the mind stream and belief in areas of exploration. There's some really amazing exercises and meditation in the book, um, including, you know, future acoustic records. So tell me, let's start. When was you, you had mentioned it briefly when was the first time you accessed the Akashic and, and, and did it happen accidentally or how did you know that I'm in the Akashic right now? There's, I'm in a resource. Just tell me more about that. It happened after I took that strange dip into the unified field back in the summer of 2000. And when I came back, mm -hmm. um, just having a knowing of things that were not in my awareness, they had come from somewhere. And then it was this, after that, this, this heightened sensitivity, um, I could hear a pin drop from the other side of the room. I'm still very sensitive to sound even to this day. And then just on the daily experiences of having just a regular conversation, you know, somebody's talking about going to the gas station or going to the grocery store and I'm sitting there going, why am I sitting there watching them in the frozen food aisle right now? That just seems weird. And I started just to observe this and realize that somehow I have this strange ability to dip into some other realm of consciousness and just know things about certain things so it was kind of an accident really right and so um you know you read and then about further to that i guess i'll say um when when i was working with clients they would be you know i'm guiding them through past lives so i would i would ask them to go on certain journeys and then they they would be getting ready to say okay be there now and tell me what's happening but before they would say that i would be like oh i see that we're we're in the parlor in France or whatever. And then they would tell me a lot of the things, you know, that I'd already perceived. And so I began doing Akashic readings. I don't do as many of that, or I really, right now, I'm not doing any readings or anything. So I'm finishing a book, but right. um, I, I may get back to doing some readings, but again, I still, I, I, I give this book to the reader because I want people to be empowered to know that it's not I don't really believe that we need a magical wand or some other external source. I feel like people can use these journeys that are very similar to how I would guide people in, in private practice to empower themselves and find these answers themselves in a way that hopefully is very self-empowering. I think we're moving into a consciousness where, you know, we don't have time to go on a mountain and wait for a guru to come and help us out. You know, we need access to this. And I love the idea of what you're saying that it's becoming more conscious you know, mm -hmm. there's an idea that the internet, all the stuff that we poured out onto the internet all these years is a form of an Akashic records because we really have access to information like never before. But on the more spiritual level, the unseen level, here it is, it's out there. 
And all we have to do is go in using the proper protocols and into the right places. And we can find the answers ourselves, Brian. And that's what I want for people. It's amazing. And the really neat part of your book is uh, you explain the Akashic. It's a lot more than just a library that you go to to get information. Um, there's all kinds of different aspects. You can ask um, um, in the future, the past, and a variety of different, anything is available in this Akashic. Uh, at the very beginning of my channel, I did a meditation because I had this experience. I called it the, um, which people found a little bizarre, the infinity palace. It was like this um, cosmic this cosmic uh, like tourist location uh, right you know right near the akashic where people go and they can explore like the best feeling ever and most interesting lives or it's almost like they go, it's like a movie they can go into this akashic and explore um, you know whatever your heart's desire the greatest pleasure you know um, all these things it's this it's beyond um, our own life um, and, and part of me maybe had conceived of this as a possibility, but um, and I started to uh, explore it and I felt like there's this place where I could go into and all things, not just about my life or other people's lives or histories on earth, but way more than that, right? I totally love it. I love the idea of getting to go to a positive place. Right. Let the world go for a while. And I think you're right. I mean, what one of the things that happened um i'm working on a new book right now so i just wrote about this again the other day but when i was guiding clients in the akashic book we we go through a, a protocol where we're going to relax ourselves we're going to walk through this first door into this place called the waiting room that's what i call it because it mm -hmm. reminds me like of a when you go to the see the doctor or whatever you're sitting out in the in the room before they call you back and depending on which door you go through that's what you're going to get so my waiting room which I didn't call it at first, I kept noticing that this thing, this place I was going, just exactly like what you just described with your wonderful, fantastic place, it was always the same place. It had a specific wallpaper. It looked like an old Victorian parlor or something out of the Wild West. And so I started thinking, I wonder if this is a real place, just exactly like what you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe it is. So I asked a couple of clients, hey, could you describe when I first asked you to walk into that first place, could you just tell me what that looked like? And a couple of them actually had gone into this place wow. and described the same thing. Well, there was a chair over here and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. And then I started realizing that there could be, you know, this is another thing, I don't know, is my consciousness somehow being imparted on others? Because right. I really want them to have their own journey. So I started making a more conscious effort to, to not to know that that's my place but I want you to have your own place. And if your place is this fabulous place you just described, then that's perfect. And then people started describing different places where they went. And so I, I decided it would be a good idea to consciously help people create a place like the one that you found for yourself, a place of respite, a place of where my soul can get recharged and where I can feel happy and safe and rejuvenated and excited and and nurtured and you know protected or whatever feeling I need to feel that's positive in nature. And then from there, that's the launching pad to all of these other journeys. And so um, since then, you know, people describe all kinds of different places. And I think it's great to find your own inner happy place in your mind where you can go um, when maybe the things in the exterior world are not exactly how we want them right now. Well, I think um, uh, theoretically what's going on when people look at the Akashic, the higher self's kind of painting a picture. It's not actually what it may look like, but we're, we're seeing something that our consciousness can sort of translate and understand. So some people might see a video store and some people might see, you know, a nice library, but it's always 
consistent with that person. So it fits with them so that they, Hey, I can go and pull this video out or I can grab this book or something. Every, everybody's maybe a little different, but it's still probably the same thing. It's a way for our soul to filter our own understanding of it. Right. Absolutely. Because it's so vast. Um, that yeah everyone one of the things i'm trying to do in the book is just give people different options like if you want it to be a library because that's a very common one there mm -hmm. there's a chance to go make it a library i think the video store example is so cool or there's we flow down a river we can do all kinds of things to access this place so um i think you're right that different things are going to resonate with different people absolutely depending on what they like so um, let's talk about the protocols to enter. You say you, you talk about going into a room. I've read different books about the Akashic. Some say you need to be very specific with your full first, middle, and last name. Uh, there's a procedure or some sort of ritual or key word that we have to use. Um, in your experience, is there a particular protocol that we need to follow in, in you know, if I want to access the, the Akashic so I know I'm accessing it properly? I, I don't necessarily believe we need um, keywords and I don't necessarily believe we need to give our full names because I think that the source knows who we are. That's just mm -hmm. my perception. Right. But yet I do want readers to go in the same way. We're going to go through the same relaxation where we're going to connect to what I call the astral light. I'm kind of giving a shout out to Madame Blavatsky there yeah. um, because Blavatsky was really one of the first to really bring this to the forefront of our consciousness awareness, even before Edgar Casey did. Mm -hmm. So we're going to connect with this light. We're going to surround ourselves with light so that we know every time when we go in, we're, we're in a good place that um, we're protected only good is coming and then we walk through the first threshold into this area that i've called i told you uh, the waiting room so the waiting room again for me looks different than it looks for you and within this space then we meet with a trusted guide or an angel mm -hmm. um, that's something i've been doing with clients for years and years i feel like anytime we're going on a past life regression or any of these other journeys it's just really nice to connect with a being who we establish knows you they know your soul they actually know you better than you know yourself because they've been with you since the beginning of time and so this trusted advisor then goes with you and accompanies you and guides you through the proper doorways to get to the places where you need to go and that could be you know everybody's different some people will see an angel some people see a, a ball of light or a being um, so they will hopefully then each time they go to address whichever question they're asking, um, they would be walking into that same waiting room, connecting with that same guide who would be their tour guide for this experience in the Akashic Records. I re read an article, I wish I could find it, but somebody was making the argument that Akashic is dangerous. You know, if, if, if the, you know, if Russia got really good at accessing the Akashic, maybe they could find some kind of virus or they could find some kind of weapon from the Akashic, you know, as we've learned, sometimes unlimited knowledge can create problems. What is your feeling about, um, you know, the let's let's take for granted the Akashic is a real thing. It has all the information, all the experiences. Uh, could it become a place where we could go in and get very dangerous information? I mean, certainly I've heard that. I just, I'm like you, I'm very positive. So that's right. really not part of my worldview. Like when you think about Nostradamus, for example, I mean, right. he was talking about destructive things that were going to happen hundreds of years in the future. 
And probably a lot of people just thought he was some crazy person. Now, um, because of the vague descriptions that he gives in these quatrains, we can now prescribe them to certain events and say, hey, wow, he really saw something there. Mm -hmm. Some of the reason why these prophecies may be coming forth, you know, we could argue would be so that we could change consciousness to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So clearly, I guess that it is possible, maybe somebody's going to go out there and try to do, you know, use this for ill. But I also think that I really believe that things happen as they're meant to. And I always just believe that no matter how messed up things are, they're going to get better. That's just how I've always believed. And so I really believe like when people are going into the book, one of the things I'm talking about is let's say somebody out there thinks, well, I want to be the next, next Nostradamus. I want to go predict far reaching future events. I really do believe that the journeys, for example, that I'm offering in the book, some of them you're going to be really, really good at. And then some of them either you're not interested in it or it's just not going to resonate with you as well. And so I think it's the same. If somebody wants to be the next Nostradamus, maybe that person is out there, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not going to really even work theoretically for for others simply because it wouldn't be what is meant to be. That's just kind of my my philosophy. I just, I keep it positive. Right. I believe if our intent is to have good, then we get good. So I had this I interview. I believe that most people are good in this world. Yes, most absolutely. Most people, I believe in the goodness of this world. 99%. So. I agree 100, 100% with that. Um, I had an interview with Jim McCarty. He was one of the people involved in the Law of One um, channelings. And he said that when we move to the new earth or the fourth density, this next level of consciousness that we hear implied in the Bible and other channelings, um, and it, it, th- th- that is when the Akashic is awakened. Um, and, and we're kind of going through a, a very, very slow, gradual process where every single day we awaken with a little more access to that, to the Akashic, the Akashic. Um, and, and we see it, we see it on TV, for instance, if I see somebody else and they're struggling, maybe in the past, uh, they're separate from me, but now there's some part of the Akashic that I feel for them. I, I can feel their pain. I can understand where they're going through. I have greater empathy now. Um, but it also, you know, Hey, um, I, I know all the deep, dark secrets of this person. I don't know why, but it seems like when I know this person, I know what kind of person he is and so all the terrible things he's done. Why do I know this? I don't know. It's like, there's this, uh, it's affecting our relationships and the world as, as we're awakening, but it's very slow. Have you, do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? It's like the whole world is accessing the Akashic just a little bit more every day, just a tiny bit more every day. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right, um, Brian. I mean, you know, you just look at some of the stories on the news every night and you think, wow, you know, corruption and graft and all the nasty things, all that stuff is coming up to the surface. All the secrets are being revealed. And I think that, you know, I think that's why it's such a challenging time because I think people look at all that and they go, oh, the world, oh, you know, right. but these, these things have to come up so we can get them out of our hair and move on, you know, into something lighter. And so this is just part of the process. But I think, yeah, there's, it's very hard to, to hide these things when you have this different dimensional frequency consciousness coming in and everybody is, like you said, you can't hide, right. you know what you know, and you know what's good and what is something to be avoided. We might inevitably reach a point where we realize that everybody's got skeletons in their closet and, and, and we have to ultimately forgive each other on a large scale. It's maybe we come to a level of awareness where, where we're accessing the Akashic, where we just need to forget, give everyone, no matter how horrible it is. Once we realize the truth of our deepest, darkest conscious selves, which is coming up, 
um, that we, we have we have to let that stuff go. Maybe at the beginning we start judging people and then eventually uh, we see that it's all ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, it's because I do, again, do I know if it's real or not? No, but because I do believe in past lives, you know, I think if we want to sit around judging other people, whether we've done those things in this life or not, chances are there's a reason why we're getting so wound up about it. And maybe we better get the mirror out because if it wasn't in this life, what if we did those things ourselves in other lives, you know? So it's hard right. to judge others. That's for sure. And we shouldn't do it. So you have a chapter in the book, uh, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, and I'd love to find out more. And when we do these regressions or access the Akashic, we can get a better understanding of what our purpose is here on earth, which is very, very profoundly powerful. Once we have our purpose, it's like magic. It changes everything. Um, so how can I go about finding my purpose or somebody that's watching? If they're struggling, I need to know my purpose. What sort of exercises can we do to find that out using your techniques? Yeah, the, the sole purpose is a super helpful one. And it's something that I've been doing with regression clients for years, because even if we've gone in the past to let go of some stuff that we that is no longer serving us, I like to end it on a positive note by saying, hey, you know what, even if we've been through difficult times in the past, we have a purpose, sometimes we learn from those difficulties. And so in the new book, there's definitely a, a huge section about getting in touch with our purpose. So like you said, so that we can have clarity, and we can know that you know, even if times have been hard, it's going to be okay because we were learning and now we're using those things to invest in our future. So to access that sole purpose, we would just walk through into the waiting room. And all of these journeys we're talking about, there's there's a fine line between we need to be specific. So if, if sole purpose is what I want today, there's a journey for that. We're going to be specific that this is what I want to learn. And yet within that, we also have to kind of open our hands and be open to perhaps being surprised by what occurs to us, because sometimes it can be um, different than what we imagine, what we actually receive from the Akashic records. Maybe we have our mind locked down on, well, I know that my purpose is this, but when we go on the journey, we might find, well, it's so much more than that. The other thing about soul purpose is interesting. I think people think it's going to be some complicated you know, we're going to get a big technical manual and we're going to have to spend a month or two studying it so we can understand it. But usually the sole purpose is shockingly, um, it's profound and yet it's very simple. Like maybe it's to love or to forgive. And then there's a space within that journey where we start asking the recipient of the journey to start thinking, okay, think back to your life about how you learned about love or how you had to learn about forgiveness, maybe by having some people do some things that maybe were not, you know, we had to forgive them or we had to be forgiven by others or whatever the, the thing is, we try to identify these patterns within that. And then so that people can come back and go, oh, wow, you know what, that really is my purpose. And, and then we talk about how are we going to now invest the things from this journey and the material that we got from the Akashic Records regarding our purpose so that we can invest those things in the future and start making that a better place for us to be. So the, the final chapter, uh, you talked about parallel universes and consciousness expansion, um, something I'm fascinated with. Um, and and, and I, I feel like I've accessed parts of the Akashic, which not only show my past lives, but also show all the past lives of all my different realities. Like it, it becomes way more than that library that it, there, there's an infinite number. I can actually explore what, what other past lives, I, uh, whatever lives I'm living now, but also those past lives of all those different realities. It, 
um, it really is amazing. So uh, you have a really great technique. You can follow the higher self guide you on a lighted path. So tell me what you've experienced with that and what we can learn by accessing our, our you know, parallel universes. Yeah, that is so interesting that you asked. Um, many, many moons ago, I published a book in 2005 called Beyond Reality, where I had published some experiments where I had guided clients into parallel universes. And it began many years ago when I had um, a very specific dream that I was driving down this two-lane highway with a friend of mine in this place I'd never been to before. I had a job. I dropped him off the taxi that it was supposed to come pick me up, never picked me up. And so the next morning I called my friend and I said, I told him about the dream and he stopped me mid-sentence and he started filling in the blanks and saying, telling me what it looked like, saying, I was there, I was with you. And he goes, we never got back together in the cab. I said, I know. And so I just asked the question, I wonder if we're living in a parallel universe together. And so I started doing this little protocol that is in the new book mm -hmm. where I started guiding people into this space where they could meet with um the personification, let's say, of source or God or however it is you perceive your creator and ask, have I lived in parallel universes? Yes or no? And then if so, then these pads would start lighting up whatever is for your highest. I, I really believe always when we're inquiring in this way that whatever is for our highest good is going to come through at any time. So let's say three different pads light up. One of them might lead into a past life. One of them leads into something concurrent, but they always have something that has to do, again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, like rewriting the story we're telling ourselves or how is how are these concurrent lifetimes or these past lives still in alignment with my soul purpose or what my soul's here to do over time and things like that. And so um, it, it's a very far out thing, but you know, if any of your viewers remember when that film, What the Bleep Do We Know and the book and all that, that mm -hmm. parallel quantum universe stuff was really in several years ago. We're not really asking those questions right now. I don't understand why, but there was a period where everybody was really into this idea that parallel universes exist. And, you know, there's membranes and they're sitting right next to each other. We're in this universe, but there's another almost identical universe that's sitting right next to us, you know? And so maybe we bump into each other every now and then. And, and, the gist of my research started becoming based on um, an article that I had read many years ago in Scientific American about this idea that, that reality is being shaped by our choices. So even, and I got really far down the rabbit hole with this, like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm driving in my car. Do I make a right? Do I make a left? Right. I, I think you know where I'm coming from. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, well, if I make a right, what's going to happen? Or if I have a cup of coffee this morning and, instead of a tea, you know, how is that going to change things? We don't need to get that far out with it, but um, the, the best therapeutic result I got from it was people who went into the past to experience in their current life to a moment where they had to make a critical life decision. And everybody has done that. Like every single person watching this right now, you know what I'm talking about. You had something happen to you in your past in this life where you had to make a hard decision. Like should I stay with this person or should we break up? Should I move to Florida or am I going to stay in Texas or whatever it is? And you know, without me even having to tell you this, that that decision has changed the entire course of your life. And I think that when things are going wonderfully for us, we don't worry about that stuff. But when we're kind of upset or, you know, things are not going well, there's that nagging little thing that lives in all of our minds. It's going, dang, 
I wonder if I had done that, if my life would be better. And so this basically was an exercise that's in this book, it's in the new book, um, where people can go back to that critical decision point. And here's the choice. It looks like a you know little Y line. And instead of doing what we did, we're going to go ahead and go down there in that other thing that we almost did. And we're going to land at a moment, in an unspecified moment on that timeline or whatever we want to call it and go into that event and just see how our life is different. Initially, the clients would say, well, they didn't have the same spouse. They had totally different kids. I mean, they had totally different lives. But 100% of the time, they came back from the experience, Brian, and they said, you know what? I'm so glad that I didn't make that other choice. Even if it wasn't bad, they still were able to then finally justify the fact that the life that they're currently living, maybe they had some bumps in the road, but it was still better than if they had done that other thing. And then that kind of, in a weird way, brings peace. Like we don't have to, okay, check it off and throw it in the garbage. We don't need to deal with it anymore. We've dealt with it and we're never going to question our decision-making again. And that can be very, very powerful and bring a lot of peace to people, you know? Got me to thinking as I was reading um, the, the chapter you have on looking at the future Akashic, because we have access to the future in the Akashic. Uh, could we access the future of all those parallel realities um, that we haven't entered into? Would it help us to make decisions in the future? Uh, can we? Is there a place we can go and say, you know, if I make this decision, I go this way. If I do this decision, I go get this way. Can I go and see, okay, if I make the decision, you know, this is what will happen. I can go back and it'll help me to make decisions in my life. Um, absolutely. And that's one I've been doing with clients for many, many years as well. It's mm -hmm. mainly about relationships. If, because really right. clients would come because of, you know, love and relationships, health or you know needing more abundance or security or whatever they have a phobia which is under the umbrella of what i would call security so if somebody one of the the issues would be okay they don't know whether to stay with this person or not this is one of the examples that would be a good one okay let's right. go out into the future and again now we're out in the current life future there's a fork in the road and there's an observation and the the readers of this new book will get to experience this as well okay so everyone can notice one fork represents staying in this situation and one fork, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whatever, a job is still a relationship that you're having with a group of people. Okay, so go ahead. Here they are. Here's two choices. So go ahead and notice, just notice it. Which one of them looks and feels lighter or brighter to you? Everyone can answer that. Mm -hmm. And then if we need to, we can go out and gaze at this nice future that we're having and then we can also go out into the not so pleasant and see either that things have never changed or it's a drag or it's wearing me down. And so then it gives the individual um, the opportunity to have on a more experiential level a feeling of what the results of their decision making would be. But at the end of the day, in this present moment, when they come back from that, they would still have to you know, trust in their journey and move forward in that direction of what they really want to create. And that's where, of course, we still have free will. But theoretically, if they follow their own advice, as I've had to learn myself over the years after messing up a bunch of stuff and realizing I should just follow my own advice, I think things go a lot better for me. I've learned the hard way. And so if people take their own advice, it's the best advice that you can ever get. I, I get a feeling, I, I, I talked about this in my book, that when, when we get hunches and intuitions, sometimes possibly we're accessing because we know what happens in another reality why for instance 
why is it more people don't get on the train that always crashes? You know, why is it when we look at train wrecks, less people get on the train or less people went into the buildings on 9-11? And it's because there's some sort of awareness that I'm when I go into this building, it's going to go, you know, I'm just some feeling I have. I don't know why I'm just not getting on the train. I'm not getting on the plane. Right. <laughs> I think there's something to that. Absolutely. Um, yep. There's also this idea that I first talked about in that first book that I'm, I'm really becoming more aligned with, which is, you know, sometimes we're all sitting here. I think everybody's had this happen too. And you'll just feel all of a sudden there's just somebody comforting you. You don't see anyone. There's no one around, but there's something that just washes over you like a comforting feeling, like somebody at an unseen level is with you. I don't know if you've had that happen, but mm -hmm. there's an idea that what if that, that energy or this, this thing, let's say that we're perceiving as a spirit guide or an angel, what if that is actually ourselves, the future mm -hmm. us who's traveling back to this moment to comfort us. And there's, when we were working on the ancestral healing, we were doing a lot of work comforting the ancestors because when we're doing ancestral healing, I mean, obviously it's going to be a war. It's going to be a funeral. It's going to be, you know, an illness or something. It's not normally anything positive. So when we send that comfort to them, and the people who were doing the comforting start to see that everybody's kind of lightening up a little bit. We're not going to, you know, jump for joy on a battlefield, but we can at least neutralize the energy a little bit. And then there was a lot more of that feeling that if we are comforting them, who is comforting us? It could be ourselves, a future ancestor or something like that. Mm. And it speaks to, you know, like you said, we don't know, but it's, yeah it's possible. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, you talk about the higher self and, and connecting with your spirit guides. Part of me th sometimes thinks there's a difference. You know, there's a difference between the angel, between the spirit guide, between the higher self. There it feels like the higher self may be me in the future that, that knows what's going to happen. And, and the spirit guide sort of like an ally, a friend, but maybe not me, but is there to help me. And, and the angel, it, you know, what is your impression? Because you, you talk about this in your book. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, when I go into my waiting room, for example, mm -hmm. um, all of these years, there's always this one angel in there. Now, I couldn't have made this angel up because I don't know, I might have thought of somebody different. I mean, you know, but she's always there. That's her. I don't consider angel, this angel, for example, to be an aspect of myself at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I am, and I guess it's, it's come into my awareness more lately after doing a lot of ancestral healing work that, that perhaps the higher self could be a future version of ourselves. Absolutely. I think that's certainly possible. Right. But, uh, you know, I do get a lot of people, Brian, I don't ever hear in my, my spirit guides. I don't, I want to connect to a spirit guide. Um, you know, and so how can I, if I want to connect to my spirit guides, what do I, what, what, what sort of exercise do you recommend? There are um, very extensive exercises in this book for that. I do yeah. believe that everyone has the ability to do this. One of the big things that's a stumbling block, though, for a lot of people is you have got to be willing to allow your imagination to be unleashed. And I mean, imagination in the sense of, you know, when we were kids, we we're playing with our toys or whatever, mm -hmm. and we were playing things and we didn't really care what anyone thought. And sometimes people say, well, I didn't get anything from that journey or whatever. And you know, they did like, I'll say, okay, I know uh, if I ask you a question that no one else has asked before, 
that brain is working all the time. You can't just stop the brain. So a picture, thought, or feeling, even if it just floated by, or maybe it was a feeling or a thought, probably just zapped through your mind just for a minute. So instead of ignoring it, saying that was silly, acting like it doesn't exist, say, wait a minute, I just saw a pair of shoes, or I just saw a dress or whatever, just grab onto that. And even though it feels silly, it feels like we're making it up. We have no clue where this came from. And if anyone heard us, they would think we were nuts. Wonderful. That's exactly the kind of space we're trying to be in. Right. And then if they'll just go through that, they'll, they'll understand that um, I believe the unseen is trying to communicate with us at different levels. And so the book will um, show readers, you know, how do we get in touch with this person? And, and through this meeting, the first time in the waiting room, we can start asking them a few questions. Maybe we don't see them. Not everybody sees. That's the other stumbling block. You know, you go to a meditation class and the guy across the room saying, oh, I saw a Technicolor unicorn and it was fabulous and a sunrise and a blasting rocket. And you're going, dang, you know what? I didn't get anything. So if you can't see things, there's still that gut feeling. There's still auditory. That's one of the reasons to have the guide is that your guide or angel or whoever meets you in that rating room can tell you things if the hearing um, gift is more your speed, but just acknowledging the fact that not everybody's going to see it. Sometimes we feel, or sometimes we hear. And so just being more open to those gifts and knowing that we can acknowledge them and they're no less valid than if I have this big visualized experience and then starting to pay attention and acknowledge and follow the directions you receive, then you'll start receiving more and more and more, but it is possible. You just have to practice. Now, I always like to ask, uh, especially a prolific writer like you, uh, I want to get an idea of your, your daily rituals, your daily routines. Um, you know, um, when do you meditate? When do you go to sleep? When do you wake up? Do you have a certain diet? Do you have, um, you know, is there something that you, because um, somebody that writes, you know, multiple books a year, um, you're prolific and you're, you're doing a lot, you're efficient, you're helping a lot of clients. Um, tell me your secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a funny question. Before that, it's not funny, but before the pandemic, you know, my, my reality was obviously a lot different, just like everyone else. I was always at the gym and I would go to the gym and work out and I would talk to all my friends and I would never get back into the office till like 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I would start in the afternoon and work, you know, mid afternoon into the evenings or something. When I'm really on a deadline, like I'm on one right now, I, I try to keep the food light. But since the pandemic now, when we were locked in the house, that's when I wrote a lot of books. I mean, that's when this, I wrote this, I wrote one that's coming out in October and I've been writing the one that I'm getting ready to turn in. So there was a lot of extra time when you're not, you know, buzzing around at the gym. So I'm still at the gym, but now that we, I've had an epiphany and we're out in public again, I guess I, I try to get in there and, you know, keep it to an hour and then get back home. <laughs> but part of that, I guess is because I don't know, I'm very hyperactive. I'm not as hyperactive as I get older, but um, they interviewed the Olympic swimmer, Michael Phelps and his mother, cause I guess he was real hyper and she had to throw him in the swimming pool so that he would just even be able to pay attention at school. So I'm maybe not to that level, obviously, but I don't know. I just, I just need to work off some steam, I guess, so that I will be willing to sit in the chair and do what needs to be done. Yeah. But if I'm really working, I, I won't eat a ton of food because I just can't bring it through as well. Now I, 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 I relate to that and what you're saying is, but I'm, I'm also hyperactive too. Um, I, I, somebody also like you that, that's read a lot, that has access to a lot of information, uh, it becomes difficult. I become so 
self-critical because I've read so many amazing books, you know, as you're writing, um, do you, do you like stop yourself from, you know, and just put the words down and, um, from being overly critical, like, oh, that's going to be terrible. Nobody's going to, you know, do you know how, how do you, um, stop that self-criticism that can block so many great writers? Oh my gosh. I, the book I'm writing now is so long and it's so, oh, you know, I've been working on it for years. I'm an Aries. So I think astrology comes into this too. I have an attention mm -hmm. span sometimes of a fruit fly. So I'm just like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I fit pitch. I do do that. Or I'll, I'll do something for a while and I go, oh, this is so painful. I have to stand up and I have to go run around or just do something. So I have to fight with myself all the time. And then there's a certain point where I just surrender. And then I just go, you know, and I go, why don't I just do that up front? I don't know. And with this book, yeah. Um, if I get hit the library, which I have to do to get my bibliographical, you know, references and stuff. And I look at some of these books that other people have written. I, I do do that. Yes. Yeah. I, especially <laughs> with these topics, especially also with the one that's going to come out in October right past lives in ancient lands and other worlds it's it's written like a history book with some past lives thrown in and it's just a lot of research and you go oh my gosh i want this to read like a real historical book and then you look at some of these people's books and you think my god they're just so amazing how could i possibly <laughs> who do i think i am you know i do i do definitely go through that definitely it's it's a battle and then at the end i'm kind of at the on the on the finish line of this one now and i'm like why couldn't i have just acted like this you know, a while ago would have been nice and quit right. fighting. So I, I, I had a thought when I was reading your book um, that we might have a time in the future where, you know, they they can access the Akashic for um, for court evidence. They can introduce court evidence, you know, um, the, like, you know, uh, did he do it? Well, let's we, we have the Akashic expert can go in can confirm yeah it looks like they did and then they have some way of proving it like i could see that as we become more aware of it and prevalent and it becomes proved there may be incidences where um somebody's really good at it and then they you know they can they can say yeah um, um the gun is there you can just go find it and it's right there and they find it we, we've we've had psychics in the past but i think maybe as the akashic becomes more conscious we might have this introduced as court evidence <laughs> Wow, that yeah. would be cool. Wouldn't it? That would be totally cool. You know, we have remote viewers now. Right, which is basically- They go through a lot of protocol though. Why not just right. cut to the chase? Remote viewers are just accessing the Akashic to me. That's what they're right. doing, right? It's That's just another way of accessing it. Um, and they're, and you know, the, the mo most of the protocols I've seen is very the same as Madame Blavatsky. They're just doing things to increase the energy in their body through breathing techniques, which is bringing in the astral light. And then they just, you know, focus and concentrate on one particular thing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's very much the same. So that might save a lot of taxpayer dollars if we could just get busy. It's we true. Find it. <laughs> So, and take video evidence to the next level. Right. Well, you know, at, at the beginning, it'll have to be confirmed, but they'll, you know, we'll see it. it. It'll be a part of government spying. It'll become a part of everything, you know, because eventually we will know everything. Everything will right. be known by everyone. And what an interesting time that will be. It's going to change our consciousness, how we interact and how we look at the world and how we look at each other. And um, so stuff like what you're doing is, is starting that process. Maybe it'll be two or 300 years from now. Right. Maybe not because things can accelerate, you know, the natural, uh, there's a sort of uh, acceleration just like technology. Right. But um, it's fascinating and it's, um, so exciting. So I just want everybody to go out on Amazon. There'll be a link in this 
uh, in the description, Journeys Through the Akashic Records, Accessing Other Realms of Consciousness for Healing and Transformation, Shelly A. Care, PhD. It's an amazing book. Go yeah, out yeah. and get it. I think you're going to love it. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and I wish you the very best. I can't wait to read your new book as well. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been such a joy. Wow. We're, you are of like mind and you're doing a great job on this show. And I just wish you the best for everything. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Reality Revolution.